Thanks for that piece of shit, Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast. Pass us. All right, everyone. New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast. I'm Eric Dimmy, most complaint cop, NYPD. And along with me is John McCarry, the founder and the co host of the podcast. Retired lieutenant, unvaccinated. How you doing, my brother? Good, bro. Good. Uh, I think we should talk about Hugh Barry, who's just forced to resign from the New York City Police Department. Incident happened in 2016, I believe. Um, and here we are, 2023, when a decision's finally made. Uh, for those of you that don't know, please look up the incident. Uh, he shot a 66-year-old woman, Deborah Danner. Um, she attacked him with a bat. She had previous. He had previously talked a, a knife out of her hand where they were holding her at gunpoint. And when she put the knife down, she then picked up a bat and charged the officers. She was shot by Hugh Barry. Um, Hugh Barry was subsequently brought to trial for for murder, where he was he was found not guilty, but he was recently uh, forced to resign. New York, uh, New York Police Department uh, chief of. Uh, that deputy commissioner of trials who's in charge of NYPD discipline. She actually recommended termination, but police commissioner Edward Caban uh, overrode that decision and allowed and allowed Hugh Barry to re resign from the New York City Police Department rather than be terminated. Eric, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, there's just there's so many layers to this that we could peel back, and it would take days, it would take weeks, and really months to analyze this. But for short-term purposes, let's just start with actual training, right? So let me circle back with that and say that, and I've said this before, policing is not a one-size-fits-all. So the police department, and our cops already know that, but for those that are not, not police officers, they're not law enforcement, or they're outside agencies, the New York City Police Department teaches the NYPD to shoot a person in possession of the bat. It's considered an armed, dangerous person. Now, again, when I say policing is not a one-size-fits-all, even though that's the training, John, you and I had spoke about this, I would like to believe that if I was in a situation cornered and pinned with an elderly woman in possession of a bat, that even despite that training, I believe, or at least I would hope, that I would be able to overcome that resistance and not have to use my firearm. However, when I say that policing is not a one-size-fits-all, I believe that I've probably trained myself in martial arts for years and built a mindset that I think I can overcome that battle. And John, you had spoke about that as well. However, that doesn't mean that that's exactly the way it should be. Hugh Barry may have a different nomenclature, and also, we weren't there. He may have been in such a dynamic situation and couldn't get into to a position where we could overcome that resistance and had to deploy his firearm. John had put out a tweet, which I think was great. He actually put out the actual target where police officers are trained. And one of the targets is someone holding a bat. It doesn't show a woman. It doesn't show a man. It's just a silhouette. And that's the training. So John, what do you think about that? Training is training, and I agree with you. You know, I would like to think that I could overcome 
a 66 year old woman charging me with a bat, but I wasn't there. This is pre body camera video. Um, and I have interacted with elderly people. You may have even been on the scene on this, but there was an elderly white woman in the projects in uh, Park Hill and she was emotionally disturbed. She was looking to kill herself. Somebody let us in the, the landlord or something. He said, she's going to jump out the window and we wrestled with this woman. And at the time, I was benching about 315 for, for, for number. Um, I was squatting a lot of weight. And I remember that about, about two minutes into it, I was winded and sweating. And I'm like, I can't hold this woman down. I was like, we had a hard time handcuffing her, me and another male. We called, the, obviously, the sergeant. We called the EMS to come to, to remove her to be to take to the hospital. Um, so, you know, on the onset of it, oh, should a grown man be able to take a 66-year-old woman down regardless of what she has in her hand as long as it's not a knife or a bat? I think so. Yes, I would like to believe that. But I've been in situations where that's not the truth. And I do believe that if that woman that I interacted with that day, if she had a baseball bat, she would have took my head off if she was able to swing it. She was very vibrant. She had a lot of a lot of strength behind her. And if you looked at her while she wasn't in this uh, emotionally disturbed state, I don't think I would have had that same appearance about her until I grabbed her by the wrist and I felt how strong she was. And how and how not lucid she was. And she was she, I, I don't want to say she could overcome me physically, but she was definitely able to injure me. There were two of us there. We were holding her down. I mean, until the EMS came, it was a long time. I was winded after. And I'll never forget that. And if that woman had a bat charging me, I would be afraid for my life. Well, I think what's great, we should highlight. What the public doesn't understand, especially those that suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect, and extremely critical of policing. Let's just think about for those that have children. I have kids. John, you have kids. And sometimes our kids grab things that they shouldn't. And we've all been in that position where you have to try to get something into your kids' hands. And sometimes it's a fight. It's not easy, right? Why is that? And I like to correlate this to actual policing. The reason why we have trouble getting things out of our kids' hands that they shouldn't have. Maybe they picked up a knife by accident. Or maybe they pick something up and they're trying to put it in a socket and you try and get it out of their hands. One, they're going to wrestle with you and make it difficult. But why is it hard to get it out of the kid's hand? Here's why. Because we're not trying to hurt our kids. And it's the same thing. Police officers are always in a position where they're at a disadvantage. Because when you're trying to get something out of someone's hands or you're trying to actually restrain them, you're trying to restrain them with the minimum amount of force necessary and you're not trying to hurt them, which, which is what makes it more difficult. So I'm sure Hugh Barry's in a situation, right? He's already removed a knife. He was successful in removing a knife, which shows he already showed restraint. And trying to remove a bat without hurting her, I'm going to assume put him in a position where he had to now pull his firearm. So, John, would you agree on that? I, I, I always felt that as law enforcement, we're at a disadvantage when we're, we're in a confrontation because we're not trying to hurt that person. A thousand percent. I mean, yeah, look, look, look well, I'm going to throw you into a fight. I'm going to throw you into a fight and I'm going to give you all these rules. And the other person has zero rules to follow. I mean, I don't know who wants to go in that fight. I don't I don't ever want to go in that fight. And that's why I say we, we always have to outnumber people. 
but I mean, I think that's a great point on the Hugh Barry case is that if he wanted a shooter, if that was intent, he would have shot her with a knife and nobody would have questioned anything, right? Like if his intent was to shoot her, he would have shot her when she had the knife. And then, and then this wouldn't come into question. And the thing that I always say is what should have happened, right? He wasn't found guilty on criminal charges, which means there wasn't evidence to find him guilty. We are trained. You know, we, we would go on the target at the seven-yard line, whatever it would be, and if you were on an indoor range and they would flip the target, right? Or, I'm sorry, they wouldn't flip the target. They would have a numbered system on the target. It would be like uh, one would be a male, would be a male showing his shield like he's a cop. If they call out one, do you shoot that? No. But two would be a guy holding a bat. So if you call the guy two – if they call two on the range, the range instructor calls two, you shoot. I mean, so our training is shoot with a bat. In order to graduate the police academy, you have to pass a use of force test where they ask you, and you have to get 100 on this test, by the way. They ask you the question. You're being charged out with a bat. Shoot or don't shoot. Shoot's the answer. If you said don't shoot, you're not going to become a police officer. So we're trained that way. My problem with the firing of and, and I understand that just because you're trained to do something that sometimes it doesn't it doesn't always call for that. But what should have happened then? What should have happened in that situation when he was getting charged with the bat? Should he have taken a strike to see how strong she was? I'm not understanding what the police department is actually saying that he did wrong. Well, what I find extremely problematic is the hypocrisy. I mean, you and I have had Sal Greco on this show several times. We've become very friendly with Sal Greco, and he's living and fighting the hypocrisy of the police department. And these agencies are just riddled with hypocrisy, especially the Civilian Complaint Review Board. The reason why I mention that is because that's what, that's what Hugh Barry was ultimately up against. And the hypocrisy is this. John, I'm sure you've been to uh, investigations where you're interviewed by CCRB. I know I've been interviewed thousands of times. And what am I always asked? Were you trained to do A, B, C, and D? Whatever actions you did, especially during the riots, I had perched on top of a car to get a better vantage point and utilize that so that I could actually see what was going on, on in the crowd. And that's what was used against me. Said I was, they said I was not trained to do that. And I said that it was available tool and a resource to use that was in and around me. So the hypocrisy is this. Hugh Barry was not trained to wrestle a bat out of someone's hands. We will act on a training. He was trained that when someone is adversarial in possession of a bat, willing to use it on the sound of the tone, beep, shoot. That's how he's trained. And when you're in a position that Hugh Barry was in, you're going to act on your training. So that's the hypocrisy because CCRB should say, well, that's how he was trained because that's always the question. That was the question that was posed to me. And that's how he was trained. So he acted appropriately. If he wrestled the bat over hands, that would actually defy the NYPD training. And that's where the problem lies. NYPD weak, mismanaged, zero leadership. Where are they standing and saying, you know what? Hugh Barry did exactly what we trained him to do. If this is not what you want, we need to reevaluate how we're going to operate going further and not have Hugh Barry take the blame. 
He was set up for failure in 2016. Uh, the then police commissioner, Jimmy O'Neill, and don't spell it the proper way, spell it with O-N-K-N-E-E-L, like Neil, because that's what he did. He completely kneeled. He went up on a press conference immediately after it happened, and he said, we failed. This is not what we are trained to do, which is an absolute bold-faced lie. Uh, I believe Bill de Blasio then came on the press conference uh, with crocodile tears because he could care less about anybody in New York City. So um, I didn't believe those tears for one second. Um, and that's – so Hugh Barry was set up for failure right from the get-go. I mean, that was definitely swaying in his criminal trial, which he beat um, because he did not commit a crime. And again, he's he's left out to dry. Nobody cares. 2016. Here we are in 2023. Uh, I'll give Police Commissioner Caban a little kudos for allowing him to retire just for the fact of, you know, just for the fact of of allowing him to have all of all, all of the, the benefits that he's worked for to this point. But I still don't think that even goes far enough. I don't think that. Hugh Barry did anything wrong where he needed to be fired. And the police department has never said exactly what he's did wrong or changed training. They did remove the target of the male with the bat. You know, they did remove that guy. But, uh, you know, this this is what it looks like, just like this. Shoot or don't shoot, you know. <laughs> um, they did remove that guy. But, I mean, other than that, they haven't, they haven't changed anything. And what is the expectation of when you're charged with a bat? Are you pulling out a taser? I'm not. Again, I want to highlight the NYPD is riddled with failed leadership. I refuse to call them chiefs anymore. I refer to them as Mr. Mr. Camper, Mr. Shell, who've been pretty adamant about lying to the public. And again, just reflecting, right? The past is reflective of the present and also the future. In the past, James O'Neill, Jimmy O'Neill, kneeling down was a complete lie to the public to tell them we're not trained that way. That's exactly what we're trained. To have Hugh Barry take the blame for that, the fall for the entire department, is just a complete mishap. It's despicable what they did. Hugh Barry did not wake up and say, you know what, I want to become a New York City police officer and fire at someone who's elderly in possession of a bat. You decided to train Hugh Barry that way, along with everyone else in the police department. He was just the unlucky one to be put in that position. Again, fail leadership. The NYPD should speak out to the public and say, this is how this sergeant was trained. We'll show you all the nomenclature. We'll show you the targets he was trained on. We'll show you the actual test of shoot, don't shoot. And we understand that this is a horrific and tragic situation. But this is the way he's, tra he's trained. And we can evaluate it and change our training to go further if the optics, optics do not meet the needs of the community. And again, people have to understand, cops, like any profession... They're not one size fits all. Some have great attributes in one particular area while others are lacking. That's why we have evaluations. We evaluate every year so that we can grow. We can look upon how we did for that year and grow. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to knock you, Barry. I don't know his nomenclature. And I don't even know what position that he was in that he had to fire. But I do know he acted upon his training. Absolutely. And and not only that, I, I feel like he's being gender discriminated against because like we said in the beginning of the show, I would like to believe that with with my physical abilities and my strength that I would be able to overcome a 66 year old woman swinging a bat at my head. 
But I don't believe that to be true for the majority of the police department. I don't believe the majority of the police department is ready physically or physically even capable to overcome that type of an assault. Trained, whether it be training, uh, the training to actually to, to understand how to overcome that on top of the physical capabilities to even overcome that in anybody doing that. So again, when you're charged with a bat, what do you do as a New York City police officer? Because as of right now, what you do is if you're extremely lucky, you don't go to jail and you you don't get killed. You don't go to jail. And possibly the police commissioner will be nice to try to avoid and lessen the lawsuit that they're going to get by letting you by letting you resign. I personally think it's it's a slap in the face. I mean, I remember at the time it happened and Mullins was in charge of the SBA. There was a big push to help Hugh Barry. Uh, I donated money to help towards his criminal trial. Um, a lot of us did. I remember a lot of people gathering money to help him in his criminal trial because we said, wow, this is crazy. This is this doesn't even make sense what's happening. We're trained to do that. That's that's insane. If you're attacked with a bat, what do we do? Here we are. He was told hit the door years later. And I don't remember hearing anything from the woke SBA. I mean, I can't, to be fair, I can't see them because they blocked me because they're afraid for me to see anything. Um, so in their defense, I don't know, but I'll tell you right now, I didn't hear a strong message from them. There should have been a press conference that day. There should have been talk of, uh, of trying wrongful termination, uh, forced termination, you know, pushing him into to make a, a decision to either be terminated or retire out of his career for the way he was following his training. And, and we haven't heard that strong messaging from any union whatsoever. Well, first of all, it makes zero impact on the police department in correlation with this incident. It was approximately eight years ago this incident actually happened. Three commissioners prior, under three commissioners prior that it actually happened, and the police department's constantly evolving, constantly changing, and so is the world and so is the community. So for him to actually be put in a position where he has to resign at this point is absolutely ridiculous. It makes no impact. Honestly, at this point, and you, you and I have spoke about this, how many cops in the police department now as we speak were actually on the job when Hugh Barry was involved in this incident? Probably not a big majority as this is constantly – Evolving, we had a mass exodus, right, which was sparked by the unvaccinated. We also have a mass exodus continuing now because morale is just completely destroyed. And we have a recruitment problem. So how many cops were actually on the job when this happened eight years ago to actually understand the nomenclature? It makes zero impact. Uh, it, obviously, it's just pandering to New York City Council or the CCRB just to get everyone to get off their backs so they don't have an angry mob. Again, the NYPD failing to stand up. Please, for the men and women out there, I've spoke to many times. I speak through, through text when we talk about specific leaders in the NYPD or failed leadership. And I hear, well, this person's a nice guy. Nice guy. Great. Keep calling them nice guys. Are they good guys? Are they actually good leaders? Those are the questions. Yeah, you know, I get that all the time. If I go after any of the chiefs on social media. And, you know, I, I hold no personal grudge towards any of these people, by the way. I don't I don't care. I'm just calling it what it is. I, I wish no ill will on them. Um, we just had Roy Richter uh, commit suicide, unfortunately. You know, prayers to the family, prayers to Roy. Um, you know, he had a successful career in the NYPD, 33 years. 
Um, I've knocked him in the past. Um, I don't feel bad about knocking him in the past. I was I was knocking him. It's an attack on the work that he was doing. I feel bad what happened to him. I wish no ill will. It shows the mental stress that police officers face even in retirement, anxiety, depression, uh, possible suicide. And, you know, I constantly hear, oh, you know, you two lieutenants are cyberbullying people. Like, like we're not cyberbullying. We're, we're, we're actually putting the truth out in the messaging, in the crime numbers. We're, so I don't, I don't feel bad at going after these people. These are not personal attacks. These people are political figures. And it's an attack on the, the lies that they're basically spewing to the men and women in the New York City Police Department. And even bigger than that, they're lying to the entire public. And honestly, somebody's got to call them out on it because it's disgusting. So we do that. Um, it's, it's no ill will towards anyone, but I'm sick of hearing they're good guys. I don't believe that they're good guys. I don't. They might be nice guys, but they're definitely not good guys. I have no problem with this. These chiefs, these weak, this weak management, poor leadership, they better man up and be ready for public opinion. As a lieutenant, my name was smeared in the papers. I was smeared through the mud, attacked by an overzealous civilian complaint review board. And not one of them stood up and said that, you know what, this lieutenant was promoted to special assignment lieutenant because of the ability and the capabilities of himself and his teams of what they were doing in the South Bronx of apprehending illegal firearms, getting violent perpetrators off the street. Right. I was attacked and open to public opinion and I had thick skin to move on and turn something bad into something good or something negative into something positive. That's what they should do. It is our job to hold them accountable. And if they're if they believe that what we're saying is, is bullying and it's false, well, then debunk what we're saying. Or if what we're saying is correct, then analyze it and say, you know what? These guys are right. How can we make this better for the public? But again, what you're saying for the people that you're calling us bullies, you're saying exactly what we've been saying. The police department is run by children because if they're bothered by this, they're acting like children. They should be thinking about public safety and not their own egos. But we know all that cares about egos. They just had a giant union meeting. And what was the topic of the situation about make sure that you salute higher up rankings, right? And, and what does that reflect on? Someone that was made detective, right, who was a made assistant commissioner who doesn't even know his job. Absolutely ridiculous what's going on with public safety right now. And the top of the priority list is someone's ego. Laughable. Nah, you're 100% right, dude. That's exactly what it was. They literally had a, uh, an LBA meeting to – I had Shell, Kinsella, uh, Kaz, whoever the hell else was there. And it was about, about calling attention, that people are sloppy, that they're big on uniform appearance. I personally think you guys look terrible. I mean – there's about 13 different thousand variations, 13,000 variations of the uniform right now. Everyone has their own unique little modified uniform today. Whether you look sloppy or not, some of, some of the uniforms look good. Like it's not, it does, it's not that it looks bad, but it's not what you would call a uniform because it's not uniform because that guy standing next to you has the same uniform on with about six or seven of his own personal unique variations on it. When so they're big on uniforms? No, they were big on Dana Martillo's uniform, but they weren't big. They're not big on anyone else's uniform, you know. Um, and I just think I just think it's an absolute joke. And I I I I 
I can't agree with you enough that it's disgusting that this is where we're at. I mean, New York City's literally crumbling and we're worried about who's getting attention called for them when he doesn't even need to get attention called for him. It's clear as day. Assistant commissioners don't get attention called for him and he's not the first assistant commissioner. There are plenty of assistant commissioners in the New York City Police Department. You don't know who they are. You've never saluted them and you've never called attention for them. So it's an absolute joke. And honestly, I so like say whatever you want about me and Eric and what we're saying. I mean, I personally sleep very good at night. I know Eric does too. I definitely know you don't. So and and I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't want to be on your deathbed either. I a hundred percent wouldn't want to be. I don't I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Well, I like to give my recommendation for the cops that are on the job right now. Back when I got on the job, and John, you, you and I were talking about this for a while today on the phone. It could have been a podcast just in itself. We both got on the job short-sighted and blind-sighted. And, and it, it was just a different time. This was the way we grew up. Uh, we were told to, to do what you're told and not to ask questions when you're a part of an organization, especially me. Listen, I was in the Marines, and I was brainwashed in a sense – part of a culture where you don't ask questions. You just do what you're told. But in that environment, it is necessary to, to build a force that could fight for this country. And, and if you ask questions it, and you slow things down, it can get people killed. So I had this ideology, join the police department, that would be the same thing. So I never asked questions. But as time went on, I started to see the politics of my career. And I wish I would have built my own library. Um, you know, we, we just interviewed Edwin Raymond. And, and one thing I could say Sometimes I envy some envy someone like himself because when he got on the police department, he was always asking questions. He had a different insight that we 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 did, uh, and he was looking at the police department from outside for what's going on within. And I just became a part of it. And, and same thing for you, John. We just grew into it and, and started to understand the political arena that we were involved in because I, I really didn't understand it in the beginning, and nor did I care. I was more concerned about making sure the guy to my left and the woman to my right were safe and so was I was I was safe and we would help the community and I wanted to get the bad guys out. I didn't think about the politics of it. But so my recommendation for the cops right now is any training that you have, you have to save the training manuals, you have to take pictures of the training, you have to write notes, and you have to save this stuff because God forbid you're in a situation that you're held accountable. And then there's a commissioner that's going to stand up and say that you were not trained that way. Well guess what? You have all the ammunition and evidence to back it up. Because unfortunately, I myself, I have to admit, when I went to training, and if I if I didn't have the catalog or the actual literature to it, I didn't make my way to actually get that training. I didn't build my own defense until later on when I was attacked by an overzealous civilian complaint review board, and I started to do that myself and started to build my own casework. And that's what you have to do. It's unfortunate, but these are the times that we're living Oh, absolutely. Keep all your training and take your training with a grain of salt because half of it's complete nonsense and it's complete CYA too on top of that. You know, especially the training now. Now they don't even give you material. They just put it, they just send you an email, complete this training by November 15th or whatever. And you click a couple of buttons. The questions are ridiculous. I used to not even watch the video and just answer the questions. Do, 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 do. Um, absolute joke. Um, training's awful. I mean, to to guys and girls out there, listen. You know, I, I, everyone gets bent out of shape by the by the statement. I know this uh, tweaks Eric Adams too, so he'll love this one. But uh, there used to be an old saying in the police department. 
it's better to be tried by 12 than to be carried by six. And what they were saying is they'd rather face the penalty of going to a court than to be in, in a casket and, you know, the mayor touching your casket and everyone saluting you and the chief smiling, standing next to your wife because he's going to be trying it because he doesn't get any at home. So he's got to use his platform, try to bang your wife and all, and all that stuff, which has happened several times and some prolific deaths and I won't get into it, but it still disgusts me. And I hope those men burn in hell that did that, um, took advantage of a vulnerable woman. Um, unbelievable, but you know, I won't get into that. That's a, that's for another day. But, uh, but what my whole point in that is, you know, you have to come home at the end of the day. You have to, that's, that's your thing. You want to raise your kids. You want to, you want to live your life. You want to do your things. You, you, if, if you're at the point in your career where you're like, well, you know, I can't really do that. I can't keep myself safe. I'm just rolling the dice and you're martyring yourself. Go take some tests. Go do something else. I have plenty of people leaving for sanitation, MTA, all these other jobs. Get the hell out. If you're still out there and you're like, no, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to put this all on my shoulders. I'm going to be the, the woman that does it. Do it. But do not go out there half cocked because... It's, it's too dangerous of a job. And New York City at this point is more dangerous than I've ever experienced as a police officer. It's way more dangerous for you than it was for me. thousand percent. Well, I think that's well said. I, I think you're hundred percent right what you're saying. You know, and my heart goes out to Hugh Barry. It, it really does because I think he did exactly what he was supposed to do. I wasn't there, but I can envision what's going on. I mean, he's in a, a small apartment. He's in confined space. He's already showed extreme amount of restraint by disarming her, whether it was verbally or actually physically, and, and, and removing a knife. And then, again, being in another situation now where she's in possession of a bat. I mean, that's already time-consuming. It's exhausting. We don't know how much stress they've already felt or how many other people are in the apartment, the dynamics of that room, the confined space that he was in. Unfortunately, everything goes back to training. People have to understand that when you're trained, you're using your fine motor skills, right? And you, 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 you do something perfect. But when you're in a high stressful situation and you actually are just executing your training, it's going to be 50% as good as the actual training because now you're using your, your, your generalized motor skills. You're not using your fine, your, I'm sorry, your gross motor skills. Your gross motor skills is what kicks in. So you're using your fine motor skills during training, and now when something kicks in, you're just executing your gross motor, skill, motor skills. It's not going to be as good. And, you, and, and people may not realize it, but you reflect on your training. And I can tell you this. There is no training in the police department on how to disarm someone with a bat. And if someone's actually swinging a bat at you, how to actually approach that person. And I'll tell you this. Again, I trained martial arts my whole life, jiu-jitsu, boxing, Krav Maga. And in Krav Maga, they actually teach you on how to attack someone who's swinging a bat at you or swinging a knife at you. And even then, that's in a worst-case scenario and you are unarmed to try to get that person to stop swinging the bat so that you do not get struck. The equation of you having a firearm is not in that. That's a last resort. If you have a firearm, why would you 
risk getting struck in the head and, and getting injured and possibly dying. Again, I think there's an extreme amount of gender discrimination that you said involved in this case because he's a man and she was an elderly woman. Again, I can tell you this. I, I mean, I have numerous family members. My uncle in particular, is, he's in his late 70s, and he's strong as a bull. He's strong as an ox. And I can tell you now, if he was swinging a bat, someone would have to use a firearm. You know, I, I, my, my grandmother, may she rest her soul, in her late 80s, she used to walk around and, and, and drag me around shopping with her, and I couldn't even keep up with her. I was exhausted. So everyone is different. And, you know, especially a lot of the older people from the World War II era, they grew up different mindset and just very strong people. And it's something that many cops are not ready for. I agree with what you're saying there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think especially World War II generation, the, the, she probably has more testosterone than half of the guys running around right now. So it's and, and I'm not even trying to be funny, like legitimately. I'm le legit, much stronger, much stronger, you know, and um, they are just tougher people. They worked with their hands, you know, the the lift and weight strength versus the actual life strength, two different strengths. You know, my father never lifted a weight. I definitely never wanted to be punched by that guy. You know what I mean? Never picked up a weight a day in his life. You know, totally different strength levels. Yeah. Could I bench press more than him? Yeah. Could I uh, squat more than him? Absolutely. I wouldn't want to get in a physical fight with him, though. Um, I think it would have took me out. Total, two different total strengths. Hugh Barry, we support you. If you want to come on, you're always welcome. If you want to talk offline, we talk to, unfortunately, numerous cops that are going through a lot of different things very similar to you, criminal trials, stuff like that, because truly nobody's there for them. Health and wellness is a sham. It's an Instagram page. Um, it's it's a bunch of bullshit. Um, the, the, the unions aren't there. They don't care. They could care less. They're not even showing up to people's criminal trials. Absolute, utter disgrace. Now they're going to show up to one officer's trial because no one showed up for him last time. And uh, we're actually going to do an episode about that case as well, Juan Perez. And, uh, you know, we support him as well. And we're going to our next podcast is going to be about Juan and what he's going through. But uh, this is uh, it's, it's honestly it's not OK what's happening. Hugh Barry, we support you. Keep your head up. We hope all is well. There's life after this job, dude. Hang in there. Absolutely, 100%. Hugh Barry, you have total support from New York's Finance Retired and Filter podcast. We were not there. The police department loves to use this terminology. It's called Monday quarterback. And what that means to Monday quarterback someone is to analyze the situation that they were in that you weren't in and what you would have done if you were there. And it's amazing. Even cops who are part of this profession sometimes suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect. And they give their take on how they would handle a situation that they were not involved in. Hugh Barry, I totally support you. That's exactly how you were trained. And I'm sure based on, based on that particular incident, just using our observation skills and analyzing the fact that you showed restraint, you showed an extreme amount of restraint, actually, in disarming a woman that's in possession of a knife and then having to deploy your firearm with a bat. I'm sure that, and I'm confident that Hugh Barry did not come on the job and say that, you know what? If someone is in possession of a bat, especially an elderly woman, I'm going to shoot her. No, he was trained by the New York City Police Department. New York City Police Department trained him how to react to someone that's holding a bat. Every time you go to the gun range, you would see that and you would hear a noise. 
you know, we're like animals. We hear noises and, and part of our training, and it triggers the training. And that's what exactly happened to him. He's a stressful situation. It triggered the training. He wasn't seeing black, white. He wasn't seeing male, female. He was seeing himself in an adversarial situation. You, Barry, told us to support you. Come on the podcast here at New York's Finance Retirement Filter Podcast. We need to hear your story. There is life after the job. There is a better life. There's a better path for you. Turn something bad into something good. And thank you for your service. Absolutely. You heard it here. New York's Finance Retirement Unfiltered Podcast. We'll be back at you. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning, and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE.